You're listening to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. The Togetherings are recorded conversations with Alaskans from all walks of life, sharing their perspectives on big questions that touch us all. Each series shares a common theme that is explored across episodes. Hello, and welcome to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. This is Annette Alfonsi with Unmasking Brain Injury. The Togetherings are conversations presented in a series of three episodes, with each one focusing on a different theme explored from Alaskan perspectives. Today is the third conversation of this series on relational healing, and this episode is about systems. I'd like to start with a native land acknowledgement and just share that um, I am calling in from Anchorage, which is the unceded, ungiven, unsold land of the Denina people, and all of us are on unceded, unsold, ungiven land of indigenous native peoples. And so as we're looking at the topic of relational healing and systems, uh, one thing that has been brought to my attention that I love and that I'm trying to incorporate now that I want to share with you, one thing that I do now is I will look up the official views and perspectives of multiple indigenous native peoples in the area affected. So if it's just about Anchorage, because I live in Anchorage, I'll look up uh, what people think from, from this area. And if it's statewide, then I'll look up what the various corporations and tribal entities think um, and what they, their position has been. Because if we want to build a more equitable world, then that means making sure that we support whatever the practices are of the indigenous peoples that are here. So I just want to offer that as an idea as we're shaping our perspectives around how we build systemic equity and relational healing and systems um, that if we, if we say we care about um, righting wrongs and making things fair, then that means that we're walking with our brothers and sisters uh, on this land. So. So hello, welcome to the Alaska Humanities Forum event, The Togetherings. And today we're going to talk about systems. I've got two amazing people here with me, uh, Candace Fox and Stacy Lucasen, doing some really awesome systems change work. So Candace, uh, first, can you tell us a little bit about Defiance Exchange and what it is that you are working on? Yeah, Defiance Exchange, uh, our main mission is to help heal relationships to money and economy. Um, so reducing extractive harm in um, relationships and economy systems, developing regenerative practices and business models, and celebrating joy in our current economy now so that we can start building more of it as we go along. Uh, part of what we do is, is uh, we're working on a time bank uh, wherein, you know, an hour of service can be exchanged for an hour of service. So, you know, if you uh, need your lawn mode or need a babysitter and you've already given an hour to somebody else in your community, that hour goes into your timing and you can spend it however you want. Um, it's just a nice way to honor our collective um, givings and uh, learn to accept each other more as we are. Uh, yeah, we do. And we do a lot of um, business mediation and business relationship mediation, as well as a few workshops. Cool. Thank you. Um, and Stacy, thanks for being here. Will you share with us a little bit about what you're doing to a heal relationship with regard to the healthcare system and specifically birthing families? Yeah, thank you for, for inviting me, Annette. Um, so I'm here today um, in my role with the Alaska Native Birth Workers Community 
Um, and what we're working toward is ultimately sovereignty for every Alaska Native person from our first breath on Earth. Um, and we're doing that through the reclamation of power during rites of passage, rooted in ancestral knowledge, so that each birthing person can be surrounded by their community and in connection to their sacred lands and waters. What that looks like more practically is supporting families that are birthing primarily in Anchorage. Um, as you might know, most Alaska Native and rural people are evacuated for birth and they wait at least a month and sometimes much longer, um, either in a hub community or an urban center like Anchorage um, in like patient housing before they go to give birth. Um, and fairly often they're actually alone during that period of time and during the actual like birth itself. And so we offer direct service to birthing families and things like prenatal um, workshops in food support and, and activities um, connection, and then labor support, like while that person is actually like in labor and giving birth, um, and then postpartum connection, breastfeeding encouragement, um, community spaces, virtual for now. And then also building the capacity within um, indigenous birth workers and aspiring birth workers in Alaska so that there are more people able to offer culturally matched care in communities across Alaska, um, as well as working with partners on advocating for policy change and, and systems change so that we can have more choices for our families who are getting ready to, to get pregnant or give birth um, and have that across the whole spectrum of what used to be midwifery care, so from preconception all the way through menopause. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. No big deal. Um, yeah, no right, big deal. Cool. <laughs> life. It's, it's Next year, you know, when this is all together. Yeah, I love it. Um, so you both are doing some really amazing kind of ground up from the bottom up systems work. Um, can I ask what it was that led you to want to do this? I mean, we we often realize when we say, well, somebody should do something. Well, mm -hmm. I'm somebody mm -hmm. and we do it. But what was it that led you to be the one that's spearheading this or a part of the group that you're in? Candice, do you want to you wanna go first? Sure, yeah. Um, it was partially uh, a weird confluence of skills, my own healing journey, and an opportunity. Uh, and so... Um, what, like four or five years ago, I did money coaching and uh, I was working with a woman uh, named Karen McAllister and she was helping me heal my personal relationship to money, uh, figuring out, you know, where I inherited my ideas of money and which ones I was holding on to without consciousness. And so um, from that healing, like I, well, you don't know this about me yet, but I had a pretty traumatic life up until I was about, I don't know, I'd say 25. And um, what I noticed after I started healing my relationship to money, I noticed how much of a thread had woven between all of my traumas. And as I, as I healed my relationship to money, I also healed in some way, wherever those traumas touched as well. And I found it to be an incredibly uh, rewarding and liberating experience. And I was like, well, heck yeah. I mean, like we should all do that, right? Like we should all have the opportunity to examine who we are within capitalism and make some changes. And as I was studying um, and, and growing and changing, of course, there are so many versions of justice out in the world that have existed long before white people and capitalism and extractive practices. And so I learned a lot about those and put them together with a group of friends and colleagues. And we built new business systems. We built 
uh, new bylaws, we built um, just as many new systems as we could and started and then started working on the personal relationships and the group dynamics and, and all of those things too. So it's, it's been quite a journey and one that has been profoundly healing for me. And whenever I get to talk about it with people, they walk away going, I didn't think about that. <laughs> and it's just like, boink, you know, as a former teacher, there's, there's moments like that that make me really happy. So <laughs> I love that. That's great. Um, and Stacy, what, what happened that made you say, I need to, I need to be the one doing this. So I, um, I definitely have been interested in, in birth and in supporting people, um, in that major transformation, even though I've not actually given birth myself. Um, even when I was, was younger, I was drawn to it. Isn't exactly the right word, like pulled into it. Um, like my best friend's mom was, uh, expecting when I was 16 and she was like, you're going to be there. And I was like, no, that sounds icky. Uh, so icky coming from a high school that like did not teach sex ed and like all of the things that I knew about birth were like movie based where it's super gross. Um, and not actually remotely like what birth actually looked like. Um, so anyway, she insisted and I was just kind of like, okay, that was, that was great, I guess, but just sort of moved on. Um, had aspirations to work in healthcare, but didn't exactly know where. I uh, thought perhaps I would become a nurse, um, but got a job in like a patient assistant role at a hospital um, once I had moved back to Alaska. And some of the older um, Alaska Native ladies that worked there, some were nurses, but some were actually like, like CNA patient assistant. Um, you know, they didn't have like important roles in the hospital. But one of them, uh, also a UPIC lady, um, and we had the same birthday, and so she decided that we were, uh, we were meant to have a relationship, like we were gonna be friends, you know, auntie, she was gonna be my auntie, basically, um, my work auntie. And so she was like, you have to go to this birth. And I was like, I don't do any, I'm not, that's not my job, <laughs> like, and you know, the nurses were like, no, this lady needs somebody and you're here and Tecla says you should be here. And so this is where you'll stand. And I was like, okay. <laughs> And very much like not, not sure how I fit and, but you know, like didn't not want to be there. I just didn't know that I was offering anything. And so it was somebody that was expecting twins and I didn't know at the time waiting alone, um, had been in patient housing because twins are considered high risk. She'd actually been in town for quite a while, um, and was having to welcome her children all otherwise alone. And so I was able to, to serve as an Alaska Native person there with her to just be her support and help her welcome her, her kids. And even if there are like Alaska Native nurses, um, there's only, at that time, there was no Alaska Native midwives working in IHS, now there's one. Um, but like, they all have a clinical role. They're all focused on, on whatever's happening, like as far as the hospital needs to happen. And there's not a lot of that emotional support or that cultural support just for the person who's giving birth. Um, and so that's all stuff that I understand in hindsight. Like at the time I was very much like, I'll stand where you tell me and sure I can help, I guess. And, and didn't really like bring anything other than like a supportive presence. Um, and shortly after that, I saw an ad on Facebook actually for a gathering of, um, of traditional ancestral rights keepers um, for primarily birth workers. So concurrent 
to that, um, the one of our other co-founders was in midwifery school um, and had met other indigenous midwives from Canada and the lower 48, and they were working to organize as, so Canada has an indigenous midwives like association, and so they were beginning that for the United States. Um, and she was hosting a gathering in 2017 up here um, for birth workers from Canada and the US. Um, and I was like, I don't know if I'm a birth worker, but I'm interested. And so we went and coming out of that, there was 20 or so of us went. Um, and afterwards, six or so of us were like, we should keep doing this work. We should, we should be organized. Cause we all had stories of that, like that informal network, that casual request for, hey, this person is alone, can you stand in? And some of us way more often than others, but in sharing those experiences, we realized how big of a need there was. Um, and so we started organizing and, and we're super grassroots and like very volunteer of like texting each other, like, hey, somebody's in need, is anybody available tonight? Can you go to the hospital? Um, you know, especially for families that are, and for people that are birthing who are like experiencing a loss, you know, being fully alone while they're having a stillbirth is really, can be traumatic. Um, first time moms, sometimes really young moms that are, are sent in from rural Alaska um, without any of their their folks with them, their partner or uh, auntie or their their own mom. And so being able to, to stand in that place and then organize to like, there's only a few of us that do birth work who are also Alaska Native. And so growing that network of people um, so that we can have like greater capacity beyond just Anchorage, um, beyond just like ad hoc, but to make it a more like structured system of care. Because what people consistently ask for is somebody who understands them. And so like having culturally matched care just sets you into a better place. Like even in a clinical setting, even in somewhere that might be stressful or might be, you know, you have to manage risks, but knowing that like they get it, that they're not going to look at you and go, ugh, a native. You know, having having that comfort going in, I think like we consistently hear and bears out in the research that it's really valuable for people, especially in that vulnerable and transformative space. So with the work that you do, do people right now have a choice? Can they say, I want to stay home for my entire pregnancy? Or does the system say, nope, you got to go over here now? How do you navigate that? <laughs> so right now, there is not a lot of choice in um, where pregnant people in Alaska receive care. Um, if you decide that you're going to stay in a, a rural village, um, not a hub community, but like, like Antioch, small, um, you have to be medically unassisted because the local, most of the local care is provided by community health aides, which is a great program. It's run by the um, tribal health system. So it's, it's a program that we've stood up in Alaska to meet some of like our unique needs with how far away everything is. But their training right now says, do not birth in the village. Do not set up to birth in the village. It's not, um, supported in their training. So they can do some of their prenatal stuff at home, um, blood pressure checks, measurements of, of growth, but ultrasounds have to be transported to at least a hub and sometimes Anchorage, anything high risk. Um, 
flags them out of, of birth, even within the region. Um, and then that risk is determined by the, the clinical providers. Um, and so very few, very few people that, that do birth in rural Alaska where they bring in their own like private midwife, um, but that's very expensive. And so it's just out of reach for most of our, most of the people who give birth in Alaska. Um, the number one insurer for births up here is Medicaid. And so that tells you some things about like whether or not they can afford a, a private midwife, um, which in our urban areas, like we do have a really good rate of community birth, higher than most other states. So community birth is home birth or birth center, often supported by a midwife. Um, but that, so that, that sort of precedent is available in our overall Alaska system, um, but hasn't yet permeated IHS. And Candace, by comparison, everyone who's part of your, what you're doing does opt in, right? It's completely mm -hmm. voluntary. Mm -hmm. um, so what is, what is that like? It's it, what you're doing is a little different in that you're not kind of, you're fight, you're fighting against a mentality of capitalism and, and economy and what does money mean in currency, but you're not actually trying to change like a, like IHS is, is a behemoth of a system, right? Mm -hmm. So how, what's that? difference like? Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting because, uh, well, we're operating on a consent base, right? And and restoring agency to people. Um, I feel like a lot of people uh, within this Western capitalist system don't actually have a lot of financial agency or even any like, you know, like, how do you spend your day? It's structured around what you do for a living, right? Like, and a living, when we say that, we mean how much money you're making so that you can do other things apparently, except you have to like do it on your off time, which is very little. And yeah, it's, it's just a mess of a system. And so what we try to do is uh, increase the agency in just people in a, in a sort of passive way, uh, which is a kind of a, a bit of an oxymoron. But what we do is, um, you know, we offer our services and people say yes to them or no to them. Right. <laughs> and in that alone is an active agency. And thinking about, you know, well, what does wealth look like when you don't have to hoard money because you're getting your needs met by your community, right? Well, wealth becomes how generous you can be, not how much you're keeping, right? Uh, which I think is a very uh, intentional nod to indigenous practices, um, at least the ones that I'm familiar with. So with the Time Bank, we're adding agency. Uh, we have a really cool tool that we're developing called the Cultural Engagement Indicator. Uh, maybe it'll come up with a better name later, but like essentially this is also an optional tool that people can involve in their time bank if they choose to, uh, that uh, creates a system of safety or at least uh, perceived safety, right? So you go through as a user and you talk about your experience, acquired knowledge and advocacy level of every demographic. And from there you get a composite score that can tell edge communities if you're gonna be more or less safe for them, right? So it, we're providing opportunities for people to make more informed decisions, but not in a way that's like super burdensome or heavy. Also, I should note too, that you get an hour in your time bank if you like do these things, right? <laughs> we're not just trying to like check off our diversity checklist, you know, like we're actually bringing in people to bring their perspectives, to bring their whole selves to work. Uh, and in doing so also, uh, we promote joy-based task distribution. 
which is really fun. So basically, we have workers who only do the things that they want to do. If you do it right, you're actually enabling somebody else to do something that they love by giving them something you don't want to do. And to, uh, to create those systems requires a lot of honesty and reflection and <laughs> the restoring of agency, sure, you know. Um, so that's why we offer the mediation and the business mediation too, because like, how do you, how do you support someone's choice to live in a more equitable economy, right? Like we have to start, it all starts in a living room by having conversations with people or like complaining about capitalism or supremacy mindset, specifically white supremacy, or, you know, really anything that says I'm better than you, which could be a paycheck, right? It's a number on a check that says, I am more valuable than you, or you are more valuable than me. Like who made that crap up and why do we accept it? You know, like we don't need that nonsense. Eh. So we try to support people from the personal all the way to the systemic. And to be honest, we as Defiance Exchange can't make all of those policy changes and they wouldn't matter if we didn't have you know, support and practice, right? So that's, it's a little different uh, we're trying to change a really large thing, and uh, you know we got to start small. I love that starting with agency with the individual person. I mean, that's definitely a lot of how the work that I engage in actually functions. Yeah, right. Like it doesn't. You can't start at the top of big systems and be like broad strokes, we're just gonna fiat wand in this brand new system because that would also be dysfunctional. Right. So being able to start with, with each person and, and creating space for self-reflection, I mean, that's so much what our, um, like we hold a prenatal talking circle and, and we'll meet one-on-one -on -one with expecting folks. Um, and the tool, it's not like these are prescriptive tools, like you must write a birth plan. We have a birth plan template uh, that you can start with and we can walk through it with you and, and you know, talk about the things that are important and like what you value and what brings you joy. And, um, you know, I think that creating, creating space for self-reflection is very much not taught a lot and it's not in a lot of our workplaces and is super missing in that the like difference between mostly indigenous cultures I'm familiar with, certainly Ubik is, um, one of sort of like the core values of like you you ought to be good humans successful humans are self-reflective mm. and it's you know the the capitalism and the the system that we mostly engage in forgets that that's not just you know good for us as individuals but like actually really functional <laughs> mm -hmm. it's absolutely necessary if we are going to survive together and perhaps even dare i say it thrive together <laughs> uh, I think it's wild we have to dream of what it looks like to thrive mm -hmm. um, well yeah most people don't even know like it, that their relationship to money is probably harmful to them you know honestly Mm -hmm. Well, growing up in, in everything being the way that it is, right? Like the, all the sum of one's life experiences tell you this, this is the world. It's hard to imagine something different and other options and other ways to approach it. And I think it was one thing that struck me was when you mentioned the idea of safety mm. um, and the idea of people being able to have safe interactions with each other that's huge. And that's huge in healthcare too, right? The idea of 
is this doctor safe for me? Is this um, environment safe for me? Is this a safe place to, to give birth and have my child? Um, or, you know, I need some support with this. Let me go on to this time bank. And it's really, that's one of the reasons I don't use some of the online connecting spaces. I don't know who's going to show up at my door. <laughs> you know? And so being able to say, let's take, let's take a look at that. Um, not to put value on what kind of person you are, but just so that people can choose who they want to work with. Mm -hmm. It's really pretty cool. And we should probably we put the CEI within medical systems, maybe wink, wink, nod, nod. And also, right. you know, maybe politicians too. <laughs> just an idea. Just, 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 an idea. just throwing it out there. Just, but then, it's have, nice. then you can have a number, a real like quantifiable, like, okay, this is your starting point and maybe you can grow from that. Exactly. Uh, and have some progress. Cause it's hard to, you know, to track. We, in healthcare, like there's like cultural competency trainings. A lot of the health systems in Alaska have like introductions to like what are native cultures, but that's, you know, like that's a very like surface level introduction. Um, they do it for teachers, I think in a lot of places too, like with that, just here are some names of people who live here, um, which is a good starting place, but it's very much a starting place. It doesn't, it doesn't reach that point of like, like cultural safety is like knowing you're walking into a room when nobody's going to go Ugh, about who you are. And as someone who does education, healthcare education, um, I have seen firsthand that there's a difference between education and implementation. Oh, yeah. And there's a difference between implementation and incorporation of that into who you are. Um, just because wow. you know what to do doesn't mean you're living it, right? Just, oh, this... I, this happened here and I'm supposed to do this as a result. And so now I'm going to do this thing, but understanding it is a totally different thing as well. Right. Well, and how beautiful would it be if there were somebody in a local indigenous tribe who wanted to offer their services to help somebody understand that person could get time in their time bank or get paid um, in order to increase that person's CEI score, you know, like it's, it's, it's regenerative economy. It's not just, like a straight exchange, you know what I mean? Like we're all getting better because we're all becoming better advocates for ourselves and our own community, you know? And I also think it's important too to note that like nobody's gonna get a perfect CEI score, you know? Like I've got my own blind spots, but it's cool that I know them now and can like start okay. to learn more about what I need to learn about. One thing that struck me about the work that you're both doing in the 21st century, right? We're in this new wonderful century has to do with technology and the way that you're incorporating technology into what you're doing, um, which kind of makes your ideas possible now in a way that previous generations couldn't have done it the way that you're doing it. Um, are you are you willing to share a little bit about um, about how you implement technology or about kind of your hopes for how that can change things? Don't everybody talk at once. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I can always answer. I just want to make sure that everybody gets. Kind of, that was kind of out of left field. So, Candace, yours is a little more obvious, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's you use a computer for it yes. for a time bank on this website. So, um, so that part is pretty obvious. But in mm -hmm. terms of you know the actual usability of it, oh, you don't have fun. to be super tech savvy to use it. No, the system that we're building is primarily browser based um, and with a low, uh, you know counting load like they're not gonna it's not gonna take a lot of energy or processing power to load the page and keep everything tracking and so theoretically um and also i should note too that 
time is literally the only measurement the whole world has agreed on. And so you can, <laughs> what's gonna be really cool that like takes this, to use this technology to take it to a new place is like, you could literally take it to a new place. So for instance, somebody who is in rural Alaska, if they get to go on a vacation or something, like you can show up in the middle of Canada and get a massage because you've already given to your community somewhere else. And so like this, you know, it doesn't matter. The currency like doesn't change, right? The currency is time. And so um, since we all have that and uh, technology has allowed us a way to, to track these things. And of course we, we started, you know, centralizing time and, and regulating it because of money which, you know, it's a little ironic, but here we are. Um, <laughs> you get to use it in a different way. And so the technological piece is obviously a really big part of what we're doing. And it's not the only thing. Like actually more of our efforts are more relational, um, at least right now too, you know, like all of those pieces where we're helping businesses move through um, transitions from unsafe, quote unquote, inclusive spaces, but not having any of the supports there or um, you know, helping just like people resolve and, and come back together as a community and celebrate our changes uh, through the mediation process. And so it's, it's fun to be both a tech and a relational kind of business. We definitely, uh, the, the Alaska Native Birthworkers community started in a relationship place, right? Like that was, like we physically met, we reached out to other folks that we knew in our circles and we're like, do, do you also want to do this work? Um, and then of course the pandemic happened, right? And we're all suddenly good at, I can use multiple different online platforms now that I would have never tried before, um, before everybody in the world was like, also this is Discord. Here's how Google Meets works, like Zoom, which we've had to embrace because we wanted to still be able to connect with people during isolation and to to make space for people to feel like they had a community, um, even if they were like waiting alone in patient housing. And so, you know, it's funny that you have, not funny, I appreciate that you have awareness about like browser count rates. Like rural Alaska has very expensive, very slow internet. And that's been a challenge for, you know, you can't join a video call if you are, if a one hour video call is going to eat your whole internet for the month, it's just not a reasonable way to connect. Um, and so that's, we've been bumping up on that limitation in, in the virtual space of, you know, making, making areas and, and making ways for people to connect that are using some older technologies and using stuff that is not as like a rich whole experience. Um, so that we can still, you know, build relationships over the phone and text and um, it's, you know, it's been, I don't know, like a challenge, but a good challenge to, to pull together these different tools um, and see how we can, how we can use them. And we're definitely very much in a learning, a learning phase on, um, on creating space across different platforms. Uh, but I think that's, you know, for younger folks that are more comfortable doing, you know, a text conversation, the occasional odd phone call, being on a platform, you know, that's like one that you can post and come back to. Integrating all of those things seems like more younger people are more comfortable with it, um, which is really great because you can you can pick up that relationship again, pick up those threads in whatever space you're in. Um, which I think for long term, if we're looking at you know, a, a healthy experience, one that's 
full of well-being from like before your first rite of passage, like at puberty through menopause, like it's gonna take lots of threads to make all those spaces feel like you're confident, like you can you can make choices that are good for you. Um, so that's definitely like the aspiration with our technology use. I love it. I, ha I have a tiny follow-up question if I can. So like experiential question, have you like had video calls with somebody and they're like, you know, the, the, whoever is pregnant may have a partner and you have to talk to the partner and say, okay, well, you need to feel around this for that. Or, you know, like ha have, have there been experiences <laughs> because of the distance where whoever's supporting them has to like actually do some of the physical exams and things like that. Like, I mean, what a, what a rich experience, you know? <laughs> so not physical exams, right? Like we leave oh, that, okay. but, but labor support, right? Practicing a labor support position you know, so like maybe you don't want to labor sitting down. Maybe you want to be like up and walking around and, and want somebody to, during a contraction, like hold on to. And so it's, I'm glad this is a podcast and not a video so you guys aren't all seeing my like acting this out. But like <laughs> you tell it, you're like, okay, you stand like this, you know, stand like real firm, like plant your feet because the person who's going to have a contraction like can sometimes pull down really hard. So you, as the support person, want to be like well braced. And, you know, have your arms out so they can, there's a thing to reach onto. And then the person in labor is, you know, this grabbing the, like your bicep. Wow. Human and, monkey bars. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And like, these are things that in person, it's like, oh, we'll just, we'll demonstrate. There's two of us. We demonstrate. Now you guys in your partnerships, like practice it. That's been super wild virtual. Cause it's like, okay, now like this, now you like this. Okay. Now stand back from your camera, which is almost always a phone set it up on something and, you know, try it out. There's a lot of giggling. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, giggling during pregnancy is good. That's a good thing. That's awesome. Um, and I, I love how you mentioned that moving forward doesn't mean that we have to use the next big shiny thing. Sometimes we can use an older technology to meet our needs. That's oh, yeah. so true. So I love, I love how this is kind of coming full circle and now we're talking about where we're at now, but I'm interested in where we're going. And you mentioned, Stacy, if this is something we're going to do long term, um, you know, this is something that we need to keep in mind moving forward. <clears throat> so as we are moving forward, what is it that you each want to see in, in, you know, what does, I mean, I don't want to go back to success because I feel like that's still like a toxic kind of mentality. But what, what is it that you'd love to see in terms of the seeds you're planting now? How would you like those to grow? Candice, we already noted that, you know, we want to see the relational, um, the cultural indicator, you know, in various systems, right? LinkedIn, and maybe, I don't know, just pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Every, just in all the places. And, uh, and Stacy, we talked about the idea of people having choice in where they're going to give birth and where they go. But beyond that, um, in terms of like the systems change part, you know, what kind of, what, what does, what does it look like? What does that Star Trek utopian future based on the work you're doing? Like, what does that look like? That's the 50 year, but like, what is the five year? Is that <laughs> some of the practical? I, mean, I guess, I, guess I, I hate that language, but like, yeah, yeah. What is it? What does, what does, not when is the work done, but like, when can we all breathe easier because it's done right? Finally, 
I think there's some some sort of immediate steps that that anybody can take, you know, especially for indigenous birthing families. But um, you know, a lot of these are are like tenants of being good relatives and and good neighbors, and so you don't have to just practice them, I guess, with uh, with indigenous birthing families. But things like you know the having having some tool, some self-reflective tool to be aware of your own blind spots, your own biases that you come with. And some are really great biases and some are more harmful to your neighbors. Um, so having that awareness, actually like supporting creation of um, like culturally matched care and healthcare is really important, but it's also in things like teaching, right? Like having opportunities for, for people of different backgrounds that reflect their communities in all of those positions. Um, you should probably buy from and support like BIPOC business owners. They're engaging in a system, hopefully with a healthy relationship, although perhaps some more folks will be headed your way, Candice, because <laughs> getting more healthy relationships um, with, you know, with money and making money. And, uh, but that is the system that we live in right now. And so, you know, if we're talking the next, like, what can you do right now? Like, literally support them. Don't buy an Indigenous-inspired art piece. Go find an Indigenous artist. Like, that's something that's really accessible and easy. Um, you it's know, I think like they're in another country or anything. Right, and plus, they're like, here. go on, you know, go on and find them. And and there's a lot of, of people that are, are doing that sort of work that, like, feeds their their cultural soul and also fits within capitalism. And so it doesn't have to be a fully separate system. Um, you know, for birth work specifically, growing capacity in their communities. Like if you're involved in birth work, like you're part of a breastfeeding coalition or you're part of a, a collective that supports birth, look around that room and see, are there any indigenous people? Are there any black people? Are there any people of color in these rooms? And like, if not, why not? And can you invite one? Can you make space for them? Um, you know, I think there, there's work being done in that, but, but not across every sector. Um, and that's also pretty accessible. Like anybody, anybody can have that awareness about the spaces that they're in and make them, make them more healthy and make them more functional. May I also make a note to like include Q, like queer and LGBTQIA people too in that birthing situation? I know I, I trust that you are a beautiful enough human to include them in your own practices, but you know, I like stating things out clearly. Yes, explicitly. We, we do support birthing families and that is whatever composition of family that you have. And yeah, we are, beautiful. we're here for you regardless of what kind of family we might have. Love it. Oh man. Yeah. I want to see more options like that. I don't plan on giving birth, but I, I want my friends who do to really have their own agency and not just follow some doctor's idea of what birthing looked like in the fifties. Um, yeah. So when you're talking about like the big change, I don't even know if I'll live to see it, but I want to wake up someday if I'm alive when this happens and know that there is a child out there somewhere who wakes up and is encouraged to do what they love. They don't have to balance worry or anxiety about what they do for their community being balanced with their inherent acceptance within that community. 
we have intrinsic value as humans. We are valuable as we are. And I want to see, I want to see those systems change. I want to see us take our agency back. I want to see us heal our relationships to money, but really it's just, it's healing our relationships to our own human value and like how we share that value together. And I mean, surprisingly, there are some good things about capitalism, in my opinion, not many, but there are some. So why can't we just take those things and take all, I mean, this is what human brains are good at, right? Like we're supposed to be able to take these beautiful lessons and move forward to, together in a way that's more co cohesive, right? Like that's, that's what we're, our brains are wired to do. And so I want, I want there to be a place and a world and in, a, in an environment where you, like, I, I want this for you too. Like you two right here, Annette and Stacy. I want you to love your work every day. I want you to empower the people that, well, I guess you can't empower anyone, but you can give people opportunity to empower themselves <laughs> with the work that you do and the work that you don't wanna do, right? Like, let's just work together. Let's be relational. Let's heal our relationships. And I gotta tell you, it feels great. And I just, I want there to be more joy in the world and less suffering. And with our current systems in America, I think healing money and our, our relationship to money and our self-worth uh, is going to be a really good way to make a big systems change quickly. That's what I want. I love hearing these like modern framing of like super traditional ways right? of looking at the world. I'm like, yeah. oh, that is how you talk about that in this world. Mm -hmm. So it's so nice to like, uh, thanks Annette, that's where this is going. I appreciate you <laughs> made this conversation happen. Uh, that's funny. I mean, you're welcome, but you're the two that are doing it. So thank <laughs> you both for being here. So no, it's it's true, It's it all comes full circle. Cause yeah, it's, it's a different language, but same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, um, so for the people that don't quite know how to get there, where are places that we can start, right? What are things that we can do? Because um, that sounded great. And I was just thinking like, I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful world. And I think we, we yearn for that. We just sometimes don't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, are there any tools other than the cultural engagement indicator? And I know there are further educational opportunities with that. Um, when it comes to making that decision about someone in a position of power told me what I have to do and I'm, I'm nervous about making sure I can have a safe, healthy birth where everyone comes out of it alive and well, but this is also really, this is, this is what I want for my care, you know, like that advocacy piece, um, I don't know. I'm, that's why that's why I invited you both here. Like, where can someone start if they're just overwhelmed about where we go from here? Visit our websites. Oh my gosh! Yeah. What a great um, idea. What are those websites? <laughs> DefianceExchange.org. Although I will say that we are going under a really big web design revamp. Um, that and right now our current one doesn't have all our offerings on it and uh, we'll have a new one up in about a month but I mean and also schedule some time with me like right now for the next uh, I think three months I have a spot specifically in my schedule every week for a free consultation and talk with whoever shows up so if you and your friends want to continue this conversation 
please, let's do it. Like, let's just talk, let's relate, let's get messy together and figure it out. Um, I would also say that, uh, you know, you can start by following, well, I can't say the F-bomb, but following your big yes, right? And I think in some ways, COVID has given us an opportunity if you were able to survive it with any kind of like consciousness intact, that uh, we've all had to negotiate consent a little differently, right? Like asking, oh, is it okay if I take my mask off? Or like, uh, you know, uh, can I go outside with you and go to walk? Or like, can we touch or not? So taking these levels of consent into everything, right? Do I want to get on the bus today? No, but am I willing to? Okay, sure, I'm going to go to work. Or um, to start thinking about the things that make you happy um, and following your big yes. Because when you have a consensual big yes between you and any other system, that could be the earth, that could be people, that could be a community, it could be a specific person. When you have a big yes, it feels so much better than having uh, an undiscussed assumption, right? So start building in consent now. We have a perfect platform for it. Yeah, right. Let's take advantage of this, this opportunity. Like these are normal things to think about and consider. And it's just not been, not been a habit to do so. And this past year has really shown like how necessary it is and, and also not hard. You know, I don't, I hope nobody comes off this conversation and is overwhelmed. I think it is talk about big systems change and re-envisioning sort of all of the things, but it, it really literally is also on an individual basis, like, do you have space for self-reflection? Do you have space for thinking about the choices that you want to see? Um, be that in like a reproductive health or a birthing space or in your day job, um, you know, probably probably there's a few minutes every week that, that each of us could be spending on that. Um, maybe it's while you're out on a walk, right? In connection with the land is really healing and really it doesn't have to be a big formal, like I'm gonna go on a healing retreat. It can be, I'm, I'm gonna walk to the, you know, the corner. I'm, I'm gonna be literally outside and, and taking in like the air and, and the environment. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I think that's so true. It doesn't have to be huge. The work that you're both doing is so transformational that yeah, it, it, I didn't think about how it could be a little scary for somebody. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Well, no, I was actually going to note too, on that note, if you feel like you're too busy and that you can't do the work because of systems of oppression or whatever reason, you know, like legitimate reason that makes self-reflection difficult, get the questions and ask someone else, get them to do the thinking for you. And if they get time, they can share it if you're open to it. You know what I mean? Like it's that whole, like, if you can love yourself, you can love everybody else. Well, the opposite is true. If you can love somebody else, you can love yourself too. And so if you don't have the time to do the self-reflection, that's what's great about humans and mirror neurons, you know, like ask somebody, ask them what they think wealth would look like if they didn't, if we didn't have money, ask them what, you know, like how they like to be celebrated, ask them what they love to do with their time. You know, like these are, you don't have to answer them for yourself right away if you're too busy. That's a really good point. And then we get ideas. We get ideas about what that looks like. Ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to, I'm yeah. going to do that one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, 
so so I have a couple of ideas here, but Stacy, you never got a chance to share your website. What's the what's your yeah. website? Uh, it is nativebirthworkers.org, and that's also our Gmail. And so it does have the S on the end, nativebirthworkers.org. And I just, I feel like it's appropriate to just, you know, like we talked about being explicit. You don't have to be native to be part of this group, right? Anybody can be a part of it, but it's a, it's a native-centered space. Is that correct or am yeah, I wrong? We definitely have space for allies. Um, we're, we started in a place where the, the families that we're serving are Alaska Native. Um, when we do capacity building, um, we offer that in a way that is free for participants with their agreement that they pay it forward within the next year um, and support at least one other Alaska Native family. But we definitely have space for allies. Um, and I think, you know, given Alaska's composition and given how almost all of our communities are mixed communities. The type of, of advocacy that we're looking to see changed, the type of, of systems that support healthy families being both alive and well coming out of whatever their birthing space is, um, is something that you know we certainly want to see for, for all of the people. I mean, Alaska, right to start, but everybody should come out of those spaces both alive and well. So I'm, I'm noticing some mirroring there as well. So, so people, people get something out of that and then you ask them to pay it forward later. I feel like we just talked about that. Right. <laughs> there might be like huh? a system coming for that. I don't know. What? <laughs> like a formalized way of doing that? So weird. So again, uh, for people listening, that is defianceexchange.org and nativebirthworkers.org. And both of those websites are open to everyone to participate, everyone to be a part of what these folks are doing and part of building that future that we wanna see. Um, are there any, any things you wanna close on? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, I kind of have one, you know, like I, I would really encourage people to start dreaming about what health looks like and what health means relationally and in our bodies and in the way that we interact together. Just start dreaming because I hope that there's somebody out there who has better ideas than me. Might have heard it good though. <laughs>